Uh, How big a venue are we talking? Uh, There's 100 people. Looks quite a nice venue, doesn't it? 110 even. Mm. So the venue's really good. So if people pay that money, turn up, at least they're going to sit in a nice room. If the content of what we do is appalling, they've still had a good night out on balance. On balance. It's only a tenner as well. Yeah, I mean, what... What could you spend a tenner on to get a guaranteed good night out? I mean, genuinely. I mean, this is... 20 double-deckers. <laughs> double-decker does not cost 50p, Chins. That shows how long... Seriously? You, are they more ate, than that? Are they 90 pence or since more? Since you ate refined sugar. Seriously? Yeah. How much is a double-decker these days? I don't know, but I would imagine it would be above 79p. It depends whether you get one of those slightly larger, the sort of share size, which you clearly would never share, because mm. they're only a little bit better than... a. Why, why would I not? Bigger than a why would I not? I wouldn't share a double decker because I love double deckers. It would be a but single decker if you only had half of it. It, it would, yes, but I, I don't see the point in in buying confectionery and then sharing it. It just, I just don't understand. So, it. You, the, if you're going to make the step into, as Rory said, refined sugar, yeah, then you know, dive in, mm. jump in with both feet. Yeah, I, I tend to do that when I played, <laughs> and also just when ask I eat. Paul Pesky Salido. Yeah. Oh yes. Well, uh, yeah, but that wasn't really jump. That's just clipping his heels like a... That's just a cowardly way to get sent off, isn't it? Doors 7.30. Doors 7.30 yeah. for, a, for an exciting eight, start eight at 8, show. I'd imagine. Yeah. I'm sure How we'll long do you think we can keep people waiting before the oh, yes. general <laughs> mood of do we, anticipation would turn to... Do we have a dressing room? Do we have a rider? <laughs> what music are we going to come out to? The music thing's important because... Highway to Hell, I think, is very important. This is the one chance I might have in my life of fulfilling <laughs> my dream of actually having entrance music. Um, what, what do you have any strong feelings about what your entrance music should be? Something. That's what we should have. What's step toe and son. <laughs> <laughs> it's step toe and sons in our case, Chinch. <laughs> yeah. mm. you, there is an element of the older step toe about you, actually. What? The older step toe? Yeah. That Seriously. Is, that is the most roundabout criticism of his chin that I have ever Is that what it's is all it, about? Is it That's just poor from you. Is it just the chin or is it his face? Oh, you tell me. His whole face. Shut up, you. Don't join in. Let him I have think a in. That's the whole point. I think if you put him in rags and aged him by... 10, 10 to 12 years. 10 to 12 years. <laughs> I do feel that Steve Lomas has more of the look of the, the aged Steptoe than me. Suggestions, please. Yes. Who looks most well, yes. like Steptoe Senior? Yes. Yes. A previous or current football player. We're, this is not... Our demographic will not know what Steptoe and Son is. That is a challenge, Rory. They I have feel like coo- somebody's they going have to take Google. Up. <laughs> yeah, but it won't resonate. Do our demographics? The thing have with Google. references is they have to re- they have to resonate with people immediately, and I don't think Steptoe is part of the zeitgeist. Isn't it a bit late for us to start worrying about what yes. people think? What about music what do you about? want to come out to, though? You must have an idea. Let me think, and I will re- will reveal all at the end of the show. This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. Joining me, Hugh Ferris, are Stephen Wyeth with a silver tongue, Rory Smith with a sharp pen, and Andy Hinchcliffe with a can opening left foot. You all looked at me like it was going to be much worse than that. I the anticipation I was palpable. Presumed it would be chin related. Yes, I, I, I thought that. Yeah, I thought it was going to be really harsh. The one that was well, to, always to me, was, never to you. It's always yeah. reasonably pleasant to you. It always ends with me getting a nice look in my back. But when you're not here, yes, it's one of us. I bet it isn't. I bet it's still me. No, it's not. It's one of us. Sometimes he's, it's not. He's not a nice man. Uh, food is coming up later. I will be cooking you all a stir fry. The chicken is currently marinating. In uh, Chinese five spice, a little bit of ginger, a little bit of garlic. I have no idea if that's the right thing to do, but somebody told me once it's a good idea. Stick a bit of brown sauce in there. You've got a, you've got a winner. <laughs> and maybe just a cheese and onion pie as well, Chinch, to make you feel better. Um, so that's to come a little bit later on. Um, I'm not doing it now for reasons that the wok has to get very hot. And frankly, my house isn't big enough for a hot wok and you three hot guys. Uh, now, for all of you who listen who aren't on social media, this moment right now is very special. We have a big announcement, and this will be fresh to your ears, unless you're paying particular attention to the first three or four minutes of the podcast. Episode 100 is a go. I repeat, episode 100 is a go. Uh, I haven't invested in any sort of music or fanfare, so we just have to have the kind of tumbleweed wisping through our ears at that point. But I'm no doubt sense the incredible excitement, mm. uh, not necessarily in the room. At it just least. feels like it's about 11 months overdue so it's it's difficult to be sort of really jubilant about it excited as i am in many ways did you sense that steve has already put a dampener on something that we're going to try and be enthusiastic about for about the next seven weeks when do you think steve was last genuinely (laughs) excited by something (laughs) never Uh, the very first set piece menu live will take place on the 13th of november in manchester 
as part of the Manchester Podcast Festival. This will be our 100th episode spectacular. It will definitely not be our 100th episode, and it's unlikely to be spectacular, but apart from that, it is a suitably monikered event. Uh, the venue is the Anthony Burgess Foundation. I understand it's very lovely. Seems to be, yeah. I've Seems never been. to be lovely. The lighting will suit us quite nicely. Can I? I don't want any lighting. No lighting. I at need all. to be in the shadows. <laughs> there, there I will frighten people. There's exposed brick, which I think is the. You said the exposed brick. Oh, I thought yes. I said something yeah, else. Yeah. Sorry, oh, I thought the, the light was going to be yeah. on me again. Very on message, very hipster. Uh, tickets are available via the Manchester Podcast Festival website and are priced at a measly and very competitive. £10. Now, we appreciate that there are many SPM listeners who will be unable to attend, perhaps through general laziness, an inability to put their money where their mouths are, or most likely <laughs> through a considerable lack of desire. So there will be a podcast version of the show for all who would uh, like to feel that they are there, but are demonstrably not. Um, so book your ticket now to avoid disappointment. The disappointment will be ours, um, because that would suggest that we can't fill the room. Uh, we'll certainly never be asked back. Episode 200, we even later than 100 is going to be. So uh, yes, book now and avoid our disappointment. Not a natural salesman, are you? No, I have to. I, I can't. I can't convince myself. So how am I going to convince others? There must be a good amount of self-deprecation in there. Be nice if people came. That's that's that also a slightly un- under. That'd be nice. Under that would be my slogan for basically any goods or product or services I was selling. Would be it'd be nice. It would be nice if people if, turned if up. If you did this, yeah. Yeah. it will be an enjoyable. We are good going into people's ears, but going into their faces, we, we will we'll come into our own. We will be better than we normally are. Well, you will be, Rory. I'm sure you will be. You'll you'll step your game up. A bit worried about your dress sense. I'm not sure. Are we going to dress the same oh, like Reservoir Dogs or? Like the Beach Boys, I'm not sure what kind of vibe we're going for. We'll have to think about all these things. I, I'm not wearing special clothes. That is, that is an absolute no-no. Special clothes would be... A shirt. What, a tuxedo Anything, or... I mean, a tie. Why would you wear a tie? Why, why does anyone wear a tie? It's just a giant arrow to the crotch. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump. I see where you're going. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Uh, so what you get, Yeah, so you're just going to... Dress smart cash, cash, smart walk cash, I'm going to wear what I always wear, to be decided. which is a black jumper and black jeans. Oh. Um, also to be decided, the entire content of the show, which I'm sure will be really worth your £10. We could maybe get a bit of feedback on that. Yes. Would, would, do you think this is very would organic, prefer, beautiful. would prefer us to do kind of new subjects, like, like when George Michael, God rest his soul, got up on stage at the closing ceremony of the London Olympics mm. and demanded not only to play Faith, but one of his, one of his new songs. One yeah. of his, which had a, an excellent shelf life thereafter. Or do people like greatest hits? Ooh. And there has to be, there has to be a Q&A in there, surely. We'll do a Q&A. Goodness, we'll do a Q&A, 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 Q&A. Q&A. You will feature a great many times and a great many features, most of which will be unbroadcastable. No, it's not about me. This isn't about me. This oh, is we've, about got, we've got big plans for you. Big plans really? for you, Really? Big plans. Big plans. Am I going to know about them? Or? Nope. nope. Um, oh. So yes, do get in touch with any ideas or any feelings about whether you'd like the greatest hits or the new album when usually everybody goes out to have uh, a visit to the toilet and then comes back for the old hits again. Um, at Setpiece Menu, setpiecemenu at gmail.com or indeed start a conversation about it on Facebook. Now, our last two pods have been play-related, so here are some of your thoughts on those subjects. We'll come to the so underrated they're rated in just a moment. But first of the time warping of players from yesteryear into the modern game. And Buffalo Joe Highland writes this. As always, enjoyed the discussion. I enjoyed it so much that I would like to praise Andy's contributions. He's put that in capitals. Uh, He then adds, would many of yesteryear's stars even play in the same position? This was touched Mm. on with Duncan Edwards as the left half position no longer exists. However, even as recently as the class of 92, would Gary Neville have the attributes to be a fullback today in the age of Carl Walker and Trent Alexander-Arnold? Most likely a fullback who is more defensively sound would end up at Burnley or in a Pulis team. Given the decline of 4-4-2, would Beckham have been a wide player wearing number seven compared to Salah, Sterling, Robin, Zaha? He doesn't seem to have the same qualities that most modern wide players have. Would he perhaps play as a deep-lying playmaker, as he did with PSG and once against Northern Ireland for England, which didn't go very well at all? On the flip side, would the late 90s striker-slash-centre-back players, such as Chris Sutton and Dion Dublin, actually fit in really well today, as strikers now need better tackling and uh, centre-backs need better ball control? Interested to know what the pod thinks of this, and if you have any positional time-warp players. cannot believe he managed to mention 1990s centre-back strikers and not mention the doyen, Paul Warhurst. Paul Warhurst, yes. yes. That's outrageous, but that's a really good point. I was thinking this week about Paul Scholes uh, and how... In a footballing way. In a footballing way. And how Paul Scholes is probably appreciated more now than he was while he played and what that kind of says about English football's mentality and uh, the way we appreciate players. 
I think that a lot of the kind of hagiography, to borrow Philippe, Philippe Beauclair's word, of Strolls is to do with the way that we've changed, not what he was. Mm. Um, but yeah, it works. So I think Strolls would be more appreciated now. I think English football is better suited to a Strolls or a Carrick now than it was when they were actually playing it, despite the fact that that was quite recently. Uh, but yeah, he's probably... I, Beckham's not a winner. Beckham isn't a modern winner at all. I'm not convinced he'd necessarily do all that well in any of the roles in, a, in the modern 4-3-3, to be honest. Gary Neville probably is basically Matthew, Lo- Matthew Lowton. Uh, there prob- you go, Burnley. Yeah. Um, As suggested by Joe. But then I suppose what Gary Neville would say about that is that he's more Aaron Wan-Bissaka uh, in the sense that Wan-Bissaka is like a, a defence-first fullback. If any of you enjoyed the Vincent Company testimonial on Sky, which I'm sure you all did because Andy Hinchcliffe featured greatly. As did you. As did, As did and, Hugh no, Ferris. But, oh, but, but yes. not, not intentionally. No. Um, uh, Gary Neville played as an attacking right-back in that game and after 35 minutes pulled his hamstring. Yes. I, I'm not sure it was an attack. He got to the halfway line and couldn't recover. So he, basically he had to stand in that position for large periods of time. So it looked like he was playing an advanced role, but it's simply because he couldn't get back into his <laughs> defensive... In defensive and inside 61 seconds, he was beaten for pace by Martin Petrov. 1-0, boom. <laughs> was, it a, was it a chastening experience, Chinch, in terms of the passing of time to realise that there was a for, an awful lot of former Manchester City players on the pitch, but as a former Manchester City player, you were on the gantry? I mean, at what point do you Clearly, get beyond testimo- testimonial use? Vincent Company must have lost my number. I, I did go around to his house on many occasions the security men just kind of ushered me away <laughs> he wasn't invited to the post-match party either even though I had a huge part in the evening didn't even get the call to go along and have some Nibbles. champagne with Robin Van Persie which clearly he would have enjoyed um, I could have I could have played in that game quite comfortably if my knees could move from side to side, which sadly um, they can't. As it turns out, there, is, uh, there are more things disqualifying you, uh, apart from your legendary status, mm. is that there was a limit of 45. No over 45 allowed in that game. Is that an insurance thing? I don't know, but uh, it was the reason why <laughs> Jamie Redknapp didn't play, because he said that I imagine that he would have been asked to play. No, he said his knee was, was goosed. He it's said a, that, it's he a said, medical term. He said that second. The first thing he said, oh, no, over 45. Oh, <laughs> I said to him, how come you... I understand why I didn't get the call. I was terrible when I was you know, in my heyday. Uh, but why didn't you get the call? And he did look a bit unhappy. Mm. But the first thing he said was, well, my, my knee wouldn't take it. I didn't realise that he was too old to play. I'm not sure about that. That's, that seems a bit harsh. 45. This email is from Kevin O'Neill and it starts like this. Rory, Chinch, Hugh and Steve. Love the pod. Do we even have a chance of being published without this? Uh, I was a latish convert around episode 100 and been enjoying binging all the episodes from before that in the last few months. I've come across a few nuggets of knowledge along the way, including an episode 43 and a quarter. This was the one with the best of the bottom 13, 11. Uh, By the way, an updated micropod on this would be very welcome, uh, says Kevin. We do enough work, Kevin. Um, And during that uh, episode, Rory Smith comes out with a wonderful line. I've never seen the fuss about Virgil van Dijk disputing his spot in the team. Quite. Says really? Kevin. Apparently so. But this email is in response to the time-warping form of footballers into the present episode, which I enjoyed quite a bit, he says. Damning with faint praise. I have long been of the opinion that Philip Coutinho and Mesut Ozil are simply playing the game a decade too late, as the, de- as the dedicated number 10 just isn't a thing for most clubs anymore. Had they played their best football circa 2000-2009, I genuinely believe they would have been part of the pre-Messi slash Ronaldo era conversation about the world's best players in the way that, say, Pavel Nedved often was. But I'd love to know who else the pod or other listeners think is just playing the game too late. Uh, Nathaniel Klein, for example, suffers in an era of attacking fullbacks when he is defensively reliable. Nathaniel Klein, the modern-day Gary Neville, it would seem. Uh, Fabianski, Lucas Fabianski gets credit for being a good goalkeeper because he can stop a shot, but his passing range isn't up there with the elite keepers. But in the 1990s, would anyone have cared? A couple of examples from Kevin O'Neill. I mean, the main example of this is, is, and I'm delighted to be able to mention him, is Juan Ramon Riquelme, who played the game 50 years too late. If Riquelme had been at his peak in the 1950s, he'd be, he'd be regarded as one of the greatest players of all time because he played in the, in the sort of very late 90s, 2000s. He, is see, he was seen as a kind of luxury. In terms of players slightly more recent than that, there's probably a few, yeah, it, it shifts so quickly. Like, I mean, the goalkeeper, goalkeepers in possessions is a really, good, a really good example. But also like pressing the, important, the importance of having that kind of Harry in midfielder, that's changed things. Attacking fullbacks, yeah, every, there's probably quite a lot. I, going back to what we've already covered, you can probably make a case that quite a lot of the, the, the ubiquitous class of 1992, obviously Gids, would, Gids wasn't really class of 92, but 
Bridge would obviously be a, a great now as he was a great then. Strolls would be better better appreciated now than he was then, as I think would Nicky Butt. The other two... Pele loved three. Nicky Butt. If, Nicky Butt was just fine. The <laughs> Both Nevilles and Beckham, I wonder whether they maybe wouldn't translate to the modern age quite so but well. But the point made about Beckham, obviously one of his predecessors in that position, Andre Kanchelska, is a completely different player. So Beckham's ability and his qualities and his mm. range of passing and crossing meant he was able to make that position his own. It, it wasn't necessarily that he turned that into what a number seven is. In terms of players who play too late, who are a decade or two too late, we probably need time to think about that. We always need time to think about stuff. And we Kevin, should probably thanks for it. prompting it. Uh, he also um, mentions Javier Hernandez being a poacher kind of striker who might have done a little bit I better mean, when it was a final touch merchant that you needed in your is team. Is there an element of you know, confusing being born a decade too late with just not being that great. Uh, we also had a good many suggestions of players so underrated that they are rated. We are in the process of compiling a trademarked SPM 11. Uh, but here are a couple of initial thoughts from the discussions you've been having on Twitter. FPL Tractor immediately had a whole team to offer. So here they are. Fabianski, again. Aspilicueta, Lascelles, Cody, who you liked, Rory, on that conversation. Daniels, that's your back four. Noble, Decore and Delph in midfield. Okazaki behind Benzema and Rondon. Some of those said. are just underrated. This is the point that we need to make. And Steve, you're very particular about this. So underrated that they are rated and not just underrated Those are players. the criteria. Yes, not just players that you think perhaps should be judged better than they are. That's, that's just personal preference. We're talking about a general movement. So LaSalle is so underrated he's rated, I think. Jamal LaSalle. Yeah, yeah I'm happy with that. Yeah. A lot of LaSalle's. Lascelles. There is an S on What did I say? Lascelles. You made him French, which is yeah. a, a problem yeah. that Jamal. Jamal Lascelles. <laughs> and immediately is. he's better. <laughs> is, he, is, he, yeah. is he rated? I think he's because, because he's Newcastle captain, because he's, he's quite a kind of chest-thumpy player, yes. I think there is a tendency to say that he is the underrated Jamal Lascelles. So basically that's the criterion is anyone who can be prefixed by the underrated is immediately not underrated. Whereas Connor Cody, to be fair, is probably still a little bit underrated, I think. Chinch is ruminating on those mm. particular... Uh, uh, this is me thinking. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Excellent but for Ozaki, a, a audio medium. Otterzaki just underrated. Just underrated. Yeah. Um, Bob Priestley says Luka Modric was the Sergio Busquets of his day. Not sure which day that is and whether it's actually the same day yeah, as Sergio days, Busquets. Yeah. Samuel L. Junction has a central midfielder theme. He suggests Milner, Henderson, Carrick, Parker and Hargreaves as potentially all underrated. They're rated. I, be, I, I agree with Scott Parker. I think Scott Parker's a good one. He was talked about being underrated for so long he became rated. So... Parker's in his player of the year is season. Is Parker not an example of a slightly different phenomenon, which is the player who is so underrated that they are rated, but is actually not that good? <laughs> He's come full circle. Yeah. Whereas Michael Carrick, for example, is rated so highly by me, that covers any unratedness from elsewhere. The Carrick falls into the same trap as Strolls. Carrick played at the wrong time. The English football now would love Carrick. Uh, we should maybe do a conversation on players who should be more underrated. Yeah. So go completely the other way. Yeah, the reverse so, phenomenon. Yeah, play, players who are terrible. I, I mentioned Andy Carroll uh, last week. And you I think, think you're great, but you're actually Bobbins. Um, Stephen Chicken includes Phil Neville in his later career, Gareth Barry and Rob Green in their early careers, the Kevins, Nolan and Davis, Emil Heskey and Peter Crouch. Basically, he says, big strikers. We like Stevie Chicks. Stevie Chicks is a good lad. Yes. Uh, I feel like there's going to be something... That's I disagree on Nolan and <laughs> yeah, Davis. I think Nolan and Davis were... Rated just fine. Were rated just... F oh, no, maybe I don't... In fact, maybe I don't disagree on Nolan and Davis. Maybe no Nolan and Davis were so... It became a cliche to say they were underrated. I take it back. I think with Kevin So Nolan they, weren't just, they weren't just builders in, in football kits? No, the, <laughs> Nolan and Davis weren't that good. Mm. They were useful players to have around, but they, they did... It became a very common thing to say... Of course, Kevin Nolan's overlooked or underrated or whatever, and that that meant they yeah they fit perfectly. I take it all back. Uh, many that, was a <laughs> yeah, that was a worthless piece of audio, <laughs> and, and now I'm regretting helping you out. <laughs> yeah. uh, many, including Matthew Cox, suggest Son Hyung Min, which is a conversation we can have perhaps at a later date, just in case Rory goes around the houses again. Um, and he's underrated. 
so underrated he's that a, he's rated. He's yeah. a brilliant player. Yeah. People will always call him underrated. I don't call him underrated. People will and have, I know what I'm talking about. We've made this point that Son Heung-bin, were he not from South Korea, yeah. would be rated higher. So perhaps that, that encapsulates it rather well as Again, well. Again, that's a slightly different thing. There. I'm, I'm not sure enough people have been underrating Son for him to no. sneak into no, our I, team. No, I, I think they have, absolutely. I think he is, he's actually he's a really good example of it. Yes, I, I agree. Son Heung-bin really was underrated for so long, he's now become, oh yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah. But it, it, he was underrated for a while. Yeah, but he's always been brilliant. Yeah, but that's the point. That's the point. Change. Oh, I see. That's what we're doing. That is the he's, number. He's tipped the balance now, has he? Right. Yeah. Oh, I see. That and that. Let's that move on, shall we? Why Chinch. it's a new it's conversation? If you miss yeah. an episode, Chinch, you yeah. really need to. I did miss to an episode, Steve. In my defence, I did miss an episode. Um, Andrew Everett rounds things off for now with a wider point. Uh, perhaps the takeaway is that there's lots and lots of really good, perhaps great players, but we just don't have the brain space to recall them on demand. So just maintain a fairly short list. Like when great actors are discussed, people always fail to mention Dennis Quaid. Uh, that from Andrew. <laughs> Which is, that's a glorious set piece menu back reference. Yeah. Got through without mentioning <laughs> that Dennis is, Quaid. Can he be a buffalo? Uh, not, for, not for just that. Not for just oh, that. Oh, come on. Andrew Everett, not for just that. You've got to back it up with a, with a kind of unnecessary praise and consistency of correspondence. Uh, finally, a quick update on Bear. Do you remember Bear yeah, yeah. from Beck Richmond? Bear had a theory about a version of a bailout fund for lower league clubs subjected to unscrupulous ownership that we had, um, uh, we thought had considerable merits. Um, and Beck... Um, Email to say, while he's out of the room, I will tell you that his real name isn't Bear, but everyone calls him that because he is her suit from top to toe. Unquestionably too much information, but you did ask. Well, Rory did. Uh, thanks, I'm, I'm uh, Bear. glad to know, to be honest. So, so he's Bear. hairy, but he's got his clothes on. Yes. Get in touch with the pod via Twitter at SetPieceMenu on, on email as well, SetPieceMenu at gmail.com. By the way, Out of Context Reacher will return next week. I do promise we've been sent a very good one too. Uh, so if you can bear to wait seven days. <laughs> I've already sent it to Chinch for... a. <laughs> You've got to practice it. It got me very, very excited. Right, good. Now, Not just the prospect of reading it, yes. it's the our content. Today, stop teasing too much. For the second week in a row, our subject today has been suggested by Steve. And for the second week in a row, I've been too lazy to regurgitate it into a pithy intro. So, Stephen, over to you. So, basically, you're not going to read something off the screen, and I have to basically, off the top of my head, come up with the introduction to today's podcast. I is think it, that's this is Stephen exactly Wyatt. Acoustic. <laughs> Cast your minds back to the Nations League semi-finals where quite frankly some shambolic defending contributed to England's failure to lift that particular piece of silverware Chinch was commentating on the games I seem yes. to recall it was John Stones in particular who found himself all at sea at one point in terms of England conceding a goal and I thought at that point I don't not necessarily sure I attach blame to the player in those circumstances in so much that we have praised the, the great coaches that we now have in the game on this podcast in the past. But is there perhaps an issue in which our players with their clubs are now coached so well and in terms of their dealing with certain circumstances in, in a game that, that no detail is left undealt with by the coaching staff, that when they find themselves in what would seem to be, for their countries, a relatively perilous situation they make a catastrophic error that they simply wouldn't do for their club because when they're in that position for their club, they know exactly what to do next. A teammate is in a certain position where they expect them to be. They know what the next passage of play is going to look. The outlet is always there. And then I put that thought to side until England conceded a goal inside 35 seconds against Kosovo recently and something very similar had happened. Ross Barkley and Michael Keane made the kind of mistake between them that I just simply don't think they would have made playing for their clubs. Yes, you see errors in club football, even at the elite level occasionally, but I think you see them more often at international level because the players are, are out of their comfort zone. And because of how well they are trained at the top level of the club game, perhaps they're not able to think quite so quickly on their feet when it comes to international football. Chinch. But, but what, you, what you're doing is you're taking all the club philosophies and then putting them together. Those players are taking those philosophies and they're, they're playing with players that they don't play with every week at their clubs, clearly. Michael Keane does not play alongside Harry Maguire week in and week out for, for in club football. So what they're taught at club level, Gareth Southgate then has to try and work out, or it, it is the challenge then for him to say, right, We've got all these players who don't play alongside each other week in and week out. Do we then have to find a fresh way of playing for this team on this occasion and try and get the players to forget everything they've, they've learned with their clubs? It's very hard to do that because they take everything that they learn day to day 
into the international setup. They play alongside each other and think, well, I, I do this when I'm playing for my club. Well, why doesn't it work when I'm playing for England? Well, you're playing with players that you don't see week in and week out. So that is that the problem that Gareth Southgate faces is all these club philosophies, all these individuals coming with different, not necessarily different ways of playing, because but every team doesn't play in the same way, and then trying to get players who aren't used to playing with each other to understand what each other should be doing. Is that a bit of a bit of a stretch? But a lot of other international teams are able to do this, or does that stem from if you have four or five from one club coming into an inter- international setup, that then makes it easier because all those players know each other? Because with England, there's very few that actually play alongside each other week in and week out, especially defensively. It's very important. Two centre halves in particular. If they were to play for their club sides together and then go and play for England, you presume it should be a lot better than it than it was than we saw in the in the Kosovo game. So maybe it is the problem of taking all these philosophies and trying to and, and expecting them to work when you put players together who don't know each other. Let's use the one that's most fresh in the memory, the the Michael Keane against Kosovo, gifting them the the early goal in that the game at Southampton. In that he gets the ball in that position for his club. Mm-hmm. He knows exactly where his fullbacks are going to be. He knows exactly where his centre-back partner, Yeri Mina, is going to be Where his goalkeeper is. Well, he has, although the goalkeeper was exactly the the same. same. But that in that split second, that moment where judgment needed to be made, for his club, he instinctively knows what to do. Yet for his country, there's just that moment of panic, perhaps. The, The unfamiliarity of suddenly not having Seamus Coleman stood where you think he's going to be. Not having Luca Dina in your peripheral vision, Brilliant anticipating the yeah. really yeah, nice. yeah, his name much is not, else. His name is not Luca Dean, whatever you may hear elsewhere. Or so, Digney. Or, sure di- or Digney. <laughs> or Lucas Dean. Luke, Lucas <laughs> Dean. Who, I did, who is Lucas in Dean. I did an Everton game where we, we did the first half. We must have mentioned Luca Dean. Exactly right, Stephen. Um, 15 times. Tim Cahill was the studio guest. Luca Digney. Now... <laughs> Sorry, Tim, that's just listen to what we're saying, man. But anyway, anyway, we've got the point. But you're right, again, if Alexander-Arnold is slightly further forward than Seamus Cohn would be, does Michael Keane in that split second think, hang on a minute, this is not what I'm used to, panic. Yeah, and it just bring, it, it's just a thing that brings us back to this, the difference between club and international football, mm. is that the more detail that goes into preparation at club level, the better drilled our players come the better drilled our players become in those environments, is it ultimately going to be to the detriment of the quality of international football? So your, your theory is basically that international football is the portrait in the attic for club football and the more beautiful club fo- football gets, or the higher level of achievement in club football, the uglier international football is. So I think there's probably quite a lot of merit to that. Yeah. I think you look at the pattern over the last like, 20, 30 years, yes, basically, the, the club game gets better and better and better. International football gets better, gets worse and worse and worse. There's more. There's only sort of a, a finite amount of attention and interest we can have generally, and the significance of the club game now outweighs the international game. But what what I would say to you on this one, he says, this not always been the problem with international football that mm-hmm. you're taking players from lots of different clubs with lots of different ideas. All right, in the past maybe clubs' philosophies in inverted, I'm doing inverted commas weren't quite as defined, and the game was probably played in a simpler way. But managers have always had to take lots of disparate resources and kind of shove them together and try to cobble together some kind of cohesive unit. But that's why coaches, again, they bring the players in. They won't be the finished article. They'll coach them and coach them and coach them to play the way that they want them to play. You need time to be able to adapt to player. You know he's got the basic ability to, to play the position, but then teaching him to play it how you want it played. But with England, you don't... And it is, football is about trust and understanding. And that's why club sides are always easier on the eye than probably international sides will be. Because again, you haven't got that familiarity. You don't have that understanding. You maybe only have four or five days of training together. And they say, oh, look, these, these lads went to the World Cup together and everything else. But it's still, you still have that unfamiliar. And I think ultimately is, are the England players as good as we think they are? Well, I think the mistakes that they make, is that, is that kind of, this is absolutely incredible that Michael Keane has given the ball away. No. I, I don't feel that it is. No, John Stones in the Nations League is probably a better example because John Stones is a, is a top-class defender. Yeah. The Michael Keane one's a funny one because, I mean, A, it's Michael Keane, and B, I genuinely think in that situation he didn't see, was it Marici, the striker? Marici. 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 I genuinely think he just didn't see him because Kosovo's kit was... Uh, was what, the six-foot-four centre-forward <laughs> who's bearing down on him and no, panting? Yeah, but, yeah, it's hard but to... But yeah. I, I, oh, good Lord. 
Hughes got overexcited. I've got overexcited. And smashed an iPhone. Uh, we should, we should. Um, but while Stephen is basically fixing all the technical equipment that surrounds us, we should put in the mitigating factors for both situations, just so that we feel like we've at least touched on it briefly. Is that uh, the John Stones incident was in extra time at the end of a long season? He hadn't been playing towards the end of City season, mm. so th- their mental and physical fatigue might have been a, a, an aspect there. Kosovo, I think, might have surprised the England yeah, yeah. back four by pressing in the first 30 seconds when you ev- pretty much every early goal that you see in the first few seconds of games these days are because a defender, central defender, it's got Shane Long's very, very fast one, was because Southampton pressed Wolves and... And because of the brilliance and, of Shane Long. And also because, obviously, the inherent brilliance of Shane so, Long. Sorry, England, England was surprised by Kosovo doing, A, exactly what they said they were going to do. Mm. Yes. And the fact that them frothing at the mouth in the tunnel to get cracking <laughs> at England was somehow overlooked. Well, no, so but I think I have to remember the, the, um, the strategic genius of General Melchit here, who, who sends people over the top in Blackadder. <laughs> In exactly the same way as they've done it before, which is the, this time it's the last thing they'll be expecting. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, but, but, the, but no, I think it's well, right to put the mitigating it, it, Whether they were surprised or not is yes, their their lack of mental preparation. But still, their, their early goals are scored because centre backs are not prepared for the immediate first few seconds press. And that's but is I'm the thinking. key thing here not that the big difference is that club football has become so heavily systematised and is so complex that the players are more than they ever used to be effectively, and I don't mean this disparagingly, cogs in a machine, that the machine is meant to function in a certain way and the problem even for someone at Everton, it's not like you'd you'd say that Marco Silva's Everton are one of the great kind of sort of bastions of footballing philosophy. I don't mean that, again, that's not an insult. It's, it's not, you're not, Michael Clinton is not a Guardiola player who's been given this yeah. sort of complicated pattern to follow. But players at every kind of elite club and Manchester United are kind of, are, it's playing in, in a way that is so kind of, died, it's, it's, they, they're inculcated in such a specific system that once you remove them from that system, they, they have problems kind of thinking for themselves. The, the unexpected consequence of how well they're coached at their clubs now is that some instinct has gone out of their game, that kind of fight or flight that they would have had as younger players to deal with a situation, think on their feet, has perhaps disappeared. But it, surely it's not just a first-team thing. It must be, the, I mean, it's academies to an extent. The football they play in academies is, follows this same pattern that is, is laid down that there are certain things that you do and it will be different from every academy to every, from each from academy to academy. So when you get players from separate clubs, may, yeah, maybe Trent Alexander-Arnold is taught to stand five yards further forward, mm-hmm. which Michael Keane is not expecting because Seamus Coleman stands five yards further back or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And that throws the whole thing out of whack. So maybe the international coaches now have far more to overcome. They have to somehow get their players to unlearn things that they do week in, week out. Is but, that possible? But would you not say that the current England is at least attempting to reflect the pervading mood of progressive football played in the Premier League and the, the teams from which they are taken are going to be playing the kind of football that would allow them to not have to shift their philosophies that much? Well, yes, yes, obviously, that's absolutely true. But at the same time, Klopp's Liverpool play progressive football and Guardiola's City play progressive football but they're very different, very different forms types, of progression yeah. mm-hmm. but also I suppose if you're going to then for Gareth Southgate if you look at you, the players that you have and how they play for their clubs if you're going to play a back four and you're going to play advanced fullbacks and you know that at times your centre-halves are going to be left slightly exposed and in possession don't play Michael Keane have you got other options for play? Because if that's how we're going to play, and at times your ball, ball's going to be played to you, you are going to be put under pressure. Okay, John Stones isn't fit, but do you have a player that can cope with that situation? Because he's used to that situation playing for his clubs. Don't play a player that maybe isn't as used to a fullback saying, well, when I play alongside Virgil van Dijk, I can play 15 yards further up the pitch because he never gives the ball away. Yeah, but Virgil van Dijk is clearly not Michael Keane. So again, does Gareth have to think, well, this is going to keep happening. We have to learn from it. And then maybe the choices that you make, you have to change. Maybe the fact, if we broaden it out from England, you'd have to do like a proper study, I guess, to see w- if, this is, if this is a trend across international football. I, I have not watched enough international qualifying football to say that it is or it isn't. But I wonder if it's that in, in certain countries, and you sort of think specifically of Spain, the Germans are terrible, so maybe not them, but Spain, Holland, probably the French, places like Croatia. I wonder if, if the kind of formative education that they get is much more uniform, which makes which which reduces the kind of 
lost in translation effects when they get when they don't when they, you know, they all go their separate ways to different clubs, but then they come back together for international duty. I wonder if with England, because kind of at, at kind of school level, effectively at academy level, the, the differences are still a bit starker, but from club to club, and the emphasis is less cohesive. I wonder if that's not as pronounced in other countries because they have a clear identity of this is what this is the basics of what you do. But are, are the way that, that Man City play, that Liverpool play, that Tottenham play, and that is is that kind of the bulk of the England team? Would we say are, are they that different that players? And okay, Michael Keane isn't isn't yeah, isn't yeah. one but doesn't play for those three clubs. But is is they're not that different, are well, they? In terms of then what Gareth's asking them is he asking them to play in a very different way? No, not they're pretty much playing four three three that the, 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 the those three clubs are mentioned. So playing. I think the formation is the same. Yeah, but as as our old friend Vitor Farage would mm. tell us, uh, system is not the same as tactics, yeah. obviously. So I wonder whether the, the overall impressions are outsiders like me, Steve, and Hugh, but not you, Chinch. No. You're an insider. Is Clearly that, not. Is that you, broad, you broadly kind of think, certainly if, say, Liverpool and Spurs is roughly the same. Pochettino and Klopp don't see it like that. I think they think the way they play is very different. I think Guardiola's style is different, is, is markedly different to each of those but I think what's really relevant is it's the it's the tiny details so in training as you will know better than we do mm, I will. when <laughs> when I'm at Laporte and John Stones and Ot- maybe not Nicholas Otamendi and kind of and Walker and Alexander Zinchenko are are training mm. they will be put by Pep and his staff his massive staff in very specific positions to build moves and I bet if you did like a tactical breakdown of how City's moves start that they there will be f- the, effectively a formula. This is all kind of the Lobanovsky effect that's come to Western Europe 40 years after he was doing it in in, in the Soviet Union. But I wonder if they w- they will all I would guess be in very similar positions. They will be taught mm. religiously, assiduously how which positions to take up, and those positions will be different in Klopp's system and in yeah, Pochettino's yeah, system. Yeah, yeah. And it's it may it may be that it's the it's the five yard differences that are that caused the confusion. But then it can help as well if you're noticing that Kosovo game, Raheem Sterling, the work that Guardiola's done on him in terms of his movement, his understanding, his intelligence of where he needs to be <clears throat> to really affect the game. If you notice the goal he made for Harry Kane, he had been playing wide, but he came into kind of a central position, turned, and then broke through the middle of the pitch. So clearly he'd understood, we're a bit under pressure, we got the ball at the back. If I stand out on this left-hand side, I'm not going to get the ball. So he shifts positions to help out a defender, gets the ball, turns, sets the goal for Harry Kane. So you can actually, what he's learned at club level has then benefited England because, again, the player said, well, this is what I do for Man City. I wouldn't stand out here. I'd go and affect the game by doing something different. So I suppose it can work in reverse. It can work for you, for someone like Raheem Sterling, and work maybe against you for someone like Michael Keane, who says, well, in this position, for Everton, I'd be expecting here I can just shift the ball sideways and would be fine. We'd keep the ball. Alexander Arnold said, well, with Liverpool, I play five, ten yards further forward. And Kyle Walker told me that's what they do in Man City. They step into midfield when the centre-halves have the ball because they have a holding midfielder. Laporte and Stones very rarely give the ball away. So Zinchenko and Walker step into midfield. So that's their natural position when a centre-half has it. Is it the same when they play for England? Or do they have to say, I have to unlearn what Guardiola's taught me. So you know what, I have to be a bit more cautious here and play alongside Michael Keane and not do what I would do with John Stones. So again, we'd have to talk to these players on this. I, I'll, I will make a few phone calls. Um, I will will speak to KW, Carl Walker, and see what kind of coaching they get at international level. This is really irritating because basically Chinch has now made me look like the curmudgeon who only sees the negatives because I was going to get round to the fact that there is... Oh, of course you were, Steve. And Raheem Sterling is the example of a player that Pep Guardiola has taken who had the raw ability and clearly had the talent and turned him into the finished article and England are benefiting from that and it looks as though similar situation with Jaden Sancho in terms of what he learned in City's Academy, which is now being refined with Borussia Dortmund. And he slotted in brilliantly and England had this, this great attack. So is it, is it, a, is it an attack and defence thing, you know, going forward? Are those skills from the club training ground more easily translated it, onto I suppose it's easier for strikers to be a bit more free thinking if they well, can, it's not going to, is it going to affect the game? Clearly, if you lose the ball on the halfway line or you lose the ball on the edge of your own penalty area, clearly what's going to happen is, is vastly different. So maybe strikers have, are taught to be a bit more free-thinking when certain things are happening. Don't just stand here, even though I've told you most of the time that's how we play. Change your position. But for, for defenders, you make mistakes. It's going to be costly. I, I love Chinch dearly and respect him enormously more than I respect him. But you're going anybody. to disagree with me but completely I, here, I aren't you? I think he's wrong on that. This really? might be my favourite but that we've ever had. I th- I j- but? <laughs> I, this was, I was also going to mention the, the attacking element. The way that Guardiola and Klopp and Pochettino, who we agree are the three kind of 
best coaches in the country and the three kind of standard bearers in terms of the Premier League but also providers of players for the England team. All the three men holding England back from winning a major trophy. Depending on your perspective. The way they play <laughs> makes it look like the attack is free-flowing and free-thinking. But I think the, att- the, the attacking coaching that they do is probably more complex than the defensive. I think that they that those are the players who are the real cards. Mm-hmm. If you look at Liverpool's front three, mm-hmm. those, the, attacking, the movements they make in attack mm-hmm. will be worked on in the training ground. Oh, I'm not saying, that, so I'm not within, saying they won't be. I'm not saying they won't be, yeah. To the extent that I would go as far as to say that... It's rigid. 95% of the time it's pretty rigid. Yeah, they, 95% of the time. But there will be occasions when maybe they'll do maybe. things that the coach will say, well, why did you do... But if it's beneficial... So I wonder whether the problem is not the nature of systematised football, which is what... Mm-hmm. Although the systems are different, that's what they all play. I wonder if the problem is... Well, partly with the keen one, it was early. The Stones thing we've already covered. We've covered the kind of mitigating circumstances there. The and also one, Barclays' pass is terrible as well. Yeah, it's it's kind of that pass. first pass you make in a 30 seconds into an international where you think the opposition can be on the half. It was kind of just lazy. Here you go. But you wonder whether in the first few minutes of an international, that's when the rustiness of, oh, hang on, yeah, that's right, I'm playing for England. I'm meant to be five yards further back. After that, I wonder whether... After those first few minutes, I wonder whether everyone kind of clicked into gear again. But I have a feeling the attacking players, yeah, you're right, there will be an element of free thinking that, that, that they have anyway, because that's the sort of player they it's are. It's not free thinking, it's not kind of do what you want. No. I'm, I'm going to coach you to play, absolutely. But there will become a point when you see Raheem Sterling, the positions that he takes up across the front line, whether that's actually coached to take up those positions or whether he's given the freedom at certain points to actually say, well, don't stand out here if the ball's going to be ending up in here. You'd hope that what Guardiola's saying is saying to Sterling, and I don't know, is th- I want you to make this run, this run, this run, take this position, this position, this position, but if you find that this position, the channels are blocked, or this position, there's no space, then you have to be able to think, you, uh, right, this isn't working, I'll take up this p- position B, C, D. I, yes. you, I, again, I think it's all coached. I don't, I don't know how much of it is, is left to inspiration with Guardiola or Klopp. Well, I think if you look to their Pochettino. average positions, I think you're probably right. Raheem Sterling will play in a, in a designated areas. area, yeah. In certain areas, so I think. I mean, if it, so I think with Mourinho, say part of the reason that Mourinho started to look so old so fast is because he didn't do that. Mourinho was saying to the attackers, "Right, we'll get the ball to you, and then you don't do what you do." That doesn't work anymore. But I wonder if the if the issue is that in attack you can be systematized and everyone can work through the things they know that that they've been coached. They can think in the way they've been coached to think. If you see what I mean. But in defence, it's much in possession. It's much more about pattern and placement and the use of space as much as as much as the use of the ball, which means that when you have that that disconnect, and again, it may only be in the first few minutes, that you do get those kind of moments where everyone's just in the wrong position, yeah. and that yeah. so it, that Michael Keane goal was a mistake from Michael Keane. It was a mistake from Ross Barkley. It was probably a mistake from whoever was playing, whoever the other centre back was. Harry Maguire, Harry, and probably, he made a mistake later on, which led to the penalty. But it was probably a mistake from Maguire, because Maguire's position was stupid. That was a stupid position for Maguire to be in, because that he definitely should have seen the striker. But it might also have been a mistake from Trent Alexander-Arnold, who'd gone too far forward. It, it, it's the, the it's mistake. Ultimately, pattern. Michael Keane just needs to go back to his goalkeeper. Or but again, if he's thinking, I'm a centre half. We again, if we've been taught to play to my fellow centre half. That's my first thought. Oh, there's a centre forward standing in the way. He didn't even seem to think, hold on a minute, I'm under a bit of pressure. I'll do the right thing and play backwards. We don't want to be seen to be playing backwards. I'll play sideways and then the problem arrives. So is he being taught again as a centre half? Your choice is our ball comes into you. You either play to your fullback or you play to your fellow centre half or into the holding midfielder. You don't go backwards. And maybe he just just didn't seem to even come into his mind. He just basically was playing the pass. Is it on autopilot? On autopilot, yeah. So again, does that come from how he's being told to play? And I suppose we should also not take up the, the arrogant English position of underestimating how well prepared Kosovo oh, yeah. were yeah. for that yeah. pattern of play. Because remember that goal that Shane Long scored inside eight seconds? Yes, we, 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 we mentioned we, it when yeah. you were sorting out uh, the when, technical. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And the, the other, Liverpool issues. against Fulham, was it last season? Uh, Huddersfield. Huddersfield last season. Did you mention that one as well? We didn't, know, no. so you were absolutely so right Liverpool to bring that Liverpool against Huddersfield. Um, <laughs> yeah, so ba- this all stemmed from you knocking over the, uh, the iPad. Um, <laughs> they were near it. Those, those were clearly well... You know, th- they'd yeah. analysed those situations mm. and reacted well to them. And I guess we get, have to assume that Kosovo had done the same thing. Yeah, I, f- I was really surprised by the... F- I, uh, this is a complete side note, but I was really surprised by how little focus there was in the days after that game on the fact that Kosovo 
were really good. Yes, well, there should have been more. There was and some, you, but there should have been. You go through the papers, and were they really good? It's all, I thought. Don't I thought? I think Valon Barish is a brilliant player. I really yes, like him. Yes. And they, but bear in mind that was a crossover team without its five best, potentially five yes, best players. Yes. Rashica wasn't there, and there were a couple of other first teamers. Mm-hmm. But I th- yeah, I thought that crossover for a nation of one point eight million. Yes. Did okay. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of it was like, oh, let's ha- let's take let's really analyze England's right sided midfield. Nobody cares, lads. <laughs> Nobody cares. The um. Cares, but wouldn't it be fun if Kosovo got to Euro 2020 that or World Cup? That is a proper story. Yeah. Kosovo, Kosovo getting to a, to a major tournament. Now, I think there's probably, there's probably a bit of everything in, in, in it, isn't there? You, I mean, I think we have to be slightly careful not to draw massive conclusions from, from a re- relatively small sample size. And it could just be that his first couple of minutes of the game, Keane's not really paying, he's not really got his game face on. What, so what's Harry Maguire's excuse for the... Yeah, but you ask us all three goals, goal. even Jordan Henderson for the... Barisha, just again, just letting the ball. Okay, he's not a right back, but hold on a minute. You're in a defensive position. The ball's in it. There's certain things that you should that you do for your club. That again, just all three goals were just dreadful. But Crossover definitely worked out that the the switch of play over over Alexander Arnold into the right back channel mm. was was a, a potential route of success, and that is what every team has tried against Liverpool for about two years. Basically, a country that doesn't show up on Apple Maps scored three goals against England. Because when Rory, as in Rory Junior, not Rory Senior, was asking, "Where is Kosovo? I, What's I kn- Kosovo?" I know where Kosovo is. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, just, just so we clarify. I'll show, that. I'll show him on the maps. It's not there. Yeah, is well, it not? You need to get rid of Apple and go to Google. Well, I did. I, I, that's hence I switched to Google Maps. Do we think there's some sort of Serbian Google interest it. in Apple Maps? <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? I, I would like to ask a, um, a kind of a practical question of Chinch, who has played both Premier League and also international football. I have, you know. Allegedly. I have. That, that, I have. That Many has, years ago, though. Many years ago. That has happened on at least seven occasions. Um, there is the translation of whether it's philosophies or just the amount of time that's needed to try and get a player up to speed in the international setup is clearly a longer period of time because the, if you were to have 20 training sessions with Pep Guardiola, he might be able to instill in you something of his philosophy and get you up to speed. You would then, I would imagine, improve thereafter. But for, for Gareth Southgate to have 20 of those training sessions where he's able to do that with a new player in the international setup, yeah. that would take a considerable amount of time. So are we saying that it's... It's the circumstances that make it harder for him. Is, are we saying that the footballers that he is using do not have the intelligence to be able to contemplate two different philosophies, even if we are saying that they are fairly similar? Um, which, is, which is more contributing, do you think? Well, the best international coach I worked with was Glenn Hoddle, and what he did mostly was team formation. So rather than play, say, five-a-sides or do shooting practice, which you can do, but actually, is it of any benefit to the team come a match day, all, all he tended to do was he'd say this is what the team is going to be and you'd, you'd set the shape out and you'd play. And I presume what he was doing was saying, well, you don't really all know each other, so I'm trying to get you used to each other's games. So every single day, there was at least an hour's worth of shape and, and play. And that, presumably, again, was to let people know how each other play because you don't do it week in and week out uh, and then you can go off and do your little bits and bobs as well defensive work attacking work all the crossing and finishing and all that type of stuff but why did he do so much of that and I presume it all stems from the fact that all these players were playing in different ways he wanted them to play by three centre-halves wing-backs that's why I was called into it because Everton were playing with wing-backs so I knew what that role was so presumably he's picked players that fit how he wanted to play then when he got them together we play like this every single day so by the time the game comes around you shouldn't be confused about what the centre left hand side of centre half is going to do if you're playing as a left wing back. So it is. It's just, but that's coaching. That's repetition. So whether it be club level or international level, that surely has to be the most sensible approach. And if your if your time is limited as well, you don't have months to be able to try and improve players. You've got literally days. You know they're good players. They're used to playing certain positions, but they're not used to playing with each other. Make them play with each other day in and day out. Can so that's what he did really well. Attribute a mistake like Michael Keane if um, if we take away the fact that it was in the first thirty seconds, can we attribute something like that to the lack of time that Gareth Southgate has had to no, instill uh, Michael Keane into I, his I feel overall. it's the other way right. It's actually this is what we this is how we do. Ross Barkley will get it, he'll stroke it to a centre half, he'll stroke it to the other centre half. That's what it looked like. It didn't seem as if those players were appreciating what was happening around them. They seemed to be doing what they'd probably done on the training pitch. So I'm saying about Glenn and but there comes a point when you've got to say well but if you're under pressure on the edge of your own box and you have to put the ball into the stands you know ideally I'd want you to do this but there comes a point when you've got to say that's not the right thing to do but that's what that goal looked like to me yes they were under pressure but it looked like players who were playing the way that they've been taught to play on the training ground 
and did what they'd been told to do and it, it, they came unstuck. So actually, again, about free thinking, there comes a point when it doesn't matter what you've been coached, there comes a point when you have to do the right thing which is maybe go back to your goalkeeper or just hoof it over the halfway line because so you're under pressure. Even though we have spent the last 25 minutes or so talking about the fact that it's kind of football by rote and that these, these players have been taught so well the systems of their, their club teams by their club coaches, that actually when they get to international football, there's a chance that they have muddled thinking because they are unable to get out of that and yet they don't have any free thinking to go alongside it. That's probably a bit harsh, isn't it? So they don't have any free thinking. I think it's just that if you're... If you're taught to do lots of different things, you will sometimes choose the wrong thing. Whereas I suspect when Chinch was playing, even with a coach's forward thinking his hovel, just a quick sidebar, by he's the best international coach you worked with. I didn't work with too many, to be fair. <laughs> uh, it's not a massive list, is it? Kate is it? Keegan, he didn't think I could pass the ball, which is, you know... You he didn't think you could pass no, the ball? No, he, he felt I was... I struggled passing the really? ball. Really? Yes, yes. So that, that so is what a did he think were your what, redeeming yeah. features? What, what, I, I, what I don't else think did he you did. have? I didn't have any redeeming features. I could um, tie a good shoelace. I don't know. I don't know. I thought running and passing were your two things. You would think so, Stephen. Yes, but no. 50% of them. I so could run. He called you up despite not thinking you could pass? He, or maybe he just called me up because the squad was just copy and pasted. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't That's last long enough, really. <laughs> That's an extraordinary <laughs> business. Copy and pasted squad. Let's <laughs> start with this and I'll forget to delete a few. Oh yes, Hinchcliffe. Of all the curiosities about Kevin Keegan, that's really right up there. The, yeah, him, that's it? a bizarre thing. That he it's not that bizarre though because sometimes my passing was erratic. But it was occasionally, occasionally, occasionally it was, it was excellent but that's true of most but players. So hang on, he told you, how many, how many of Kevin Keegan's squads were you in? Uh, I'll have to, I'll have to, have a, I, I, some, some, somebody told me the other day the nil-nil draw against Bulgaria was my last match. I didn't even know that was the case. But it was, was the hobbling. same that game. Was it was yeah. the last game for Haristo Stoichkov as well. Is that right? So uh, both our international <laughs> careers ended at Wembley. Separated Can you believe that? Birth. Do you think he knows that, that that was my last game for England as well? Almost Probably certainly. Not. He certainly does now. The, um, I'll look into that. I'll look into but that. But surely, surely, surely when... Even even though Hoddle was doing that shape work, and it wasn't, it, we shouldn't kind of think that football before kind of twenty before Pep was sort of barbarism. But the, I think the systems that they use, or the way they play, the patterns of play, what they're taught now is is probably more complex. It's more kind of in depth at club level, which probably makes it harder to. It's maybe more ingrained. Well, but when you watch Man City, are you bewildered by how they play? There is a pattern. Oh, yeah, yeah. There is there's a pattern to how they play. And Pep players. Won't let you, won't and the, won't tell you that pattern, though. And the, and the stories that you hear about how he, you know, when Henri was at Barcelona and having zones to play in, and when he went wandering, he was very quickly told, no, 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 that's somebody else's job to do. So there are. There's, oh, there's the, grids and areas, and, and the, the, there's a pattern to how they play. There is a pattern. And I mm. suppose, actually, it's, it's either a podcast or a piece or something. To, th there, there, there is, and there's much as Guardiola's a great coach. There is no such thing as a pattern in football that can't be A, decoded and B, broken. Yes. And at some point, someone is going to work out, no one's done it yet, but someone is going to work out how to break Guardiola's pattern and stop City playing. And at that point, or whichever team he's at at that point, at that point, everyone will see, actually, right, that's the thing that works, let's do it. And Guardiola will have to adapt. And whether he can adapt will be a, a fascinating challenge for him. He will have to keep on, maybe he'll just keep on adapting. But there is a pattern to how they play, and it is, that's what I mean. It's, I think it's probably drilled into the players so much, so frequently, that when this is the situation, you do this, and when this is the situation, you do this, that I wonder if, at, when they go to international level, and that Southgate inevitably tells them, the, slightly, the slight tweaks to what you're meant to be doing. I want you to do this slightly differently. And all of the other players are in slightly different positions. And it's, it, the differences are minute and probably can't be discerned by fans or by me or by Steve or by Hugh. Maybe by you, because you're a, probably, you're a yeah. visionary. Yeah, if I thought about it, yeah. I wonder if there's just a little bit of kind of almost like static in their heads in certain moments. And they just think, oh, hang on, I can't remember which, which bit I'm meant to be doing. And that's when you get mistakes. That's my, that's my basic working theory. And, and you, you were right to uh, make it sound uh, a little less like we were sticking the knife in because there, there are, first of all, we brought up the mitigating circumstances and also a swallow does not make a summer. Is, is that 
Did it sound like I was sticking the knife? Yeah. But but we return to the yeah. original Butcher. prospect of Stephen. And actually, Stephen wanted to do this, have this conversation because you noticed the John Stones uh, thing, as we all did. But you 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 noticed the kind of the correlation of the two um, in uh, June. But we have waited for it to happen a second time before doing it. So just Plus just remove chinch, that knife chinch very isn't slightly. In Portugal, so it's oh, a lot yeah, harder that's to do. Also another aspect. But I also remember when I was playing with England as well, the, the, and talking about kind of the, what was instilled in you. I remember that there'd be times when you'd have possession. If I was playing for Everton. I'd play maybe a certain ball into the channel. There's a chance you could actually give that ball away, but that's how Everton wanted to play. Get beyond the defence, put of the them ball. on the back foot, get rid of the ball, hoofed up the pitch. But then when you're playing for England, my first thought would be maybe to do that, but then you're thinking, oh, no, hang on a minute. This is different. And again, maybe that split second is, is where the problems come because, again, you're, you're kind of coached and trained into doing something week in and week out and then suddenly you're told actually no 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 we're not doing that today because we don't international football is about keep the last thing you want to do is give yeah. the ball and I, that's why I found it really tedious and I couldn't pass the ball as well it's maybe playing those balls into the channels to nobody which I've been taught at Everton was maybe why Kevin Keegan thought I couldn't pass it maybe he thought I was trying to play it into Shoxy Shearer <laughs> and was such a bad passer that it kept going awry so maybe to who Shearer? Shoxy Shoxy yeah that's what I called him is it? Did no, anyone else just, call him that? Of course they did. Al, <laughs> Shoxy. Why Shoxy? Shizzy. Why Shoxy? Let's not, go, let's not talk about that. I've just made that up. Anyway, no, but that's maybe why, again, things you're taught at club level. Yeah, stop yeah. thinking about Shoxy. <laughs> club level. And then maybe that, so that split second of doubt is where yeah. maybe mistakes are that, made. Aristo yeah, Stoichkov can then pounce on the, on so the error that I've made. My final point to you, Chinch, is given that it's, we have assumed that it takes a little while for this, this, this kind of philosophy to be completely adopted to the point that it is second nature to these players who are in the international setup and using England again as this example. If Gareth Southgate is in this job for a period of time using the same group of players for a period of time, is there not an argument that would suggest that they will eventually get to that point that the successful clubs are in, where everybody knows exactly, they kind of go into national mode, they know exactly where they are, they know exactly where their fullback is, they, and, they, and that will happen less. There, there is um, inevitably a bumpy period en route to that, like there was at the beginning of Klopp's reign, mm. uh, Pochettino's reign, and Guardiola's reign, where things mm. didn't quite slot into place because it took them time. Is there an argument to say that by year whatever, that Gareth Southgate will have had the, the amount of time to do that for his well, team, we, and they will yeah. be exponentially better as a result? Well, do we feel that, I know the qualifications are hard to judge a team because England just tend to kind of sweep through, and then it's at the competitions that you really see the true measure of a team. But so you're allowed to make mistakes in those qualifiers, yeah, frankly, course, yeah, for the yeah, benefit yeah, of, and a, get of away a with it Because obviously the standard of the teams you're playing against. But are England... I don't, are England a, a flowing, functioning... T- at times, they do look like, again, a collection of players thrown together. It doesn't look that smooth. But again, is that how it's going to be? With players, the standard of the England players, putting them together, they're not used to each other. It's going to be slightly clunky at times. It is, there are going to be mistakes made. So again, is, is it ever gonna, are they ever going to get there? Because the players, ultimately, it is ultimately about the player. If they've got the intelligence and the technical ability... They should be able to. We've seen that with Spain and, and other teams as well. They can adapt to anything. But are the England players able to adapt? Because that's what you're asking them to do, is put them in a, out of their comfort zones, different set of circumstances, different players around them. Can you become a smooth-functioning team? Is the problem not that no matter how many sessions Southgate has, at the end of every 10 days, they go back to their clubs and they're taught something different? And they forget it. It just never becomes second nature in the way that it is if you talk day to day. Which, which again, brings us back to the tournament football. If they've got three weeks beforehand, they might have an opportunity to, to have that. But if there is some at least some foundation over the period of these brief spells that Southgate gets with his team, then it may well be. I mean, you just look at the, the front three against Kosovo were brilliant. The counter-attacking was... I would suggest whether it was based on that much of a system or, or just individual free thinkers, um, it was successful um, to the extent that you would want that repeated time and time again so maybe he's just able yeah, to but get then teams aren't daft enough because Kosovo the way that yes, they played they, they it was not daft it's probably the wrong way but again playing the way that yeah. Kosovo did you give the ball away that's what England won one forward pass and suddenly you're, you're having a load of problems England capable of dealing yeah. with a team who offer them that opportunity yes. now they just need to do that at the back where they need to be able to respond to a team who are not providing them that opportunity because even, even in the Bulgaria game, you look at, yeah on. you look at the scoreline and think great England have, have battered but again, you look at the, the goals that they got, two penalties, two goals that were pretty much gifted to them. When a team sits behind the ball, that's when you need the understanding. It looked at times as England are passing the ball without really saying, well, right, what do we... There didn't seem to be that real great understanding as how, how we're going to break the opposition down as a team. 
you're hoping that an individual can do a bit of something, which England do have those players. They don't seem to be saying, right, we'll make, we know we're going to make five passes here to open a team up. It looks a bit as if they're kind of thinking as they go along, which maybe is because, again, they don't play that much together. Uh, Steve, are you satisfied that we have had the conversation and yes, other very. three of us, are we satisfied that we've managed to, to break down Steve's nihilism about the whole thing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. There I mean, were some glazed grumpy. expressions on faces when I started speaking at the beginning of the episode, no, so I'm quite, quite glad we've managed so to So England's to next performance is always going to be their very, very best, not the one we've, the last one that we've seen. Always. It's always the prospect is it can all click and all look smooth, Yes, but it's whether we ever get to that point. You, Ho- you could be the England not. manager with that sort of attitude. Do you think so? <laughs> and as my end of pod disclaimer, I think that neither John Stones or Michael Keane are nuggets of footballers. There's an argument to say play a midfielder as a centre-half, Connor Cody. So underrated, he's so rated. There's another so pod, there's another pod. Midfielders is centre-half. Before a soccer story from Chinch, time to divert Ooh. back to Stephen. And we have an email from Brendan Fika. Hi all, greetings from a Rotherham United fan here at the University of Nottingham in Ningbo near Shanghai, China. What? what that wow. is an outreach programme of significant value from uh, the uh, University of Nottingham. I've just listened to the episode of SPM that includes the first appearance of, for F's sake, you don't go to VAR. So he's not willing to swear as much as we are. Can I suggest a snappier new name? My suggestion being Various Misconceptions. <laughs> Lovely. Yes. Um, then uh, Brendan says, keep up the repartee, not banter. Regards Dr. Brendan Thieker. He is a doctor uh, of name suggestions, I would suggest. Uh, so, for one week, maybe the rest of the time, uh, only various misconceptions. This is when Stephen lets rip about either a misuse or a misinformation about the game's new technology. Not a rant this week. Let's Ooh. keep it nice and calm. Let's stick on the international theme. Anyone notice how often, during England's internationals, the point may well, if we had VAR perhaps that decision would have been overturned. So we've spent the first few weeks of the Premier League season with many, many people complaining Mm -hmm. about the undue influence or maybe the lack of influence that VAR is having on those games. The minute we don't have it, it is being pointed towards that fact and that maybe decisions could have been improved if it had been available. Quite right too. Clive Tilsley, the amount of times, well... Not having... No, that's, well, it, that wasn't just we Clive. Like, we like Clive. Leave Clive yeah, alone. No, we I'm like just Clive very he, much. He was, the, the he nice was my man. entry point. It wasn't Peter Drury and Andy Hinchcliffe who were available to the rest yes. of the world. I bet, they, I, I bet they mentioned it several times but over. Never mentioned VAR. But is that not, why would is we? That not basically the, the whole issue in a nutshell? That is exactly why we have the feature and why Steve used the feature. Well to done, say Steve. Those things. Well done, um, Steve. It is time for Nevermind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story. It's got to be better than that, Chinch. This is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and live the details removed. Well, John Stones has been mentioned a few times in the pod, so I was going to do something slightly different, but it's a, a John Stones story. Now, actually, <clears throat> this is a bit of... Can I just clarify? I really do rate John Stones incredibly highly as a defender, despite what you may have misinterpreted earlier on in the podcast. Can we also clarify over the last 150-odd episodes that we also rate Andy Hinchcliffe as a very, very good defender, contrary to everything that we have said? Clarify that for yourself. <laughs> Can I continue? Please do. I'm going to drop a few names in this story. The first one... Isn't the biggest name because it's it's Hugh. Um, Clang. Big, big-ish. Not really big, is he? Medium. Medium, medium name. But what I wanted to do was kind of the perceptions that maybe people have of the modern-day footballer being selfish and egotistical. Uh, this is a John Stone story. So, Hugh, I wasn't working on a, a, a given Saturday. And I was invited along to a, a City match. We tried to work out what, who City were playing. but C- we Can't remember. How can we both not know? I they think, they because I think it was about two years ago. It wasn't that long ago. It, it was wasn't that long ago. ago. But they, they beat someone as they normally do, 4-0 or something. But I'd done a, we'd done a bit of this pre-match stuff that you do in, is it City Square, where you go on a stage and basically it's all about you, but you, you dress it up as it being about Man City. Um, so we, we talk about the club and you really show off asking really long questions with big words in them. So we do a bit of that. But because you do that, the club look after you quite well. So what they do, so you, you do this before the game. So during the game, you go up to one of these swanky executive boxes. And when I say swanky, I mean swanky with capital swanky. <laughs> the food is extraordinary. The wine list, I don't drink, but the wine list is incredible. Now, I was there. My lovely wife, Nikki, was there. My stepdaughter, Carly, was there. And Primrose was there as well. So the whole family, the whole Hinchcliffe clan was there. So we go into this amazing executive box. With it's like seated for like twelve people, but there's there's only ourselves and Keith Hill is in there, the old Barnsley, who's now he's taken over Bolton. So Keith Hill is in there with his family. Was he Orville? 
No, that's Keith Harris. <laughs> that's right. No, it's it's Keith, former Rots, two-time Rochdale yeah. manager. That's, I wonder why. I, I wonder why he wasn't saying. It was a funny joke. It was a funny joke. So Keith Hill, not Keith Harris. So he's in there with his 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 wife, and there's his little lad. He must be about nine or ten. So he's a former Barnsley. <laughs> Orville. Oh, I think he was called. No, he wasn't. No, was he wearing an so, no, he wasn't. Did he you can fly. No, you can't. Did he wish you could um, fly right over the sky? Oh, no, no, no. So anyway, after the game, John Stones comes up to the executive box. I, I, I feel he clearly wants to meet the mighty chinch, but no, because Barnsley, Keith mm-hmm. Hill, they were together, so they know each other very well. So John's still got his kit on. He's got his flip-flops on, uh, his sliders. Uh, so he, he comes up and he's, he's chatting away with Keith Hill and then he says to the young lad, Orville, we'll call him, um, <laughs> fancy a kickabout? And this little kid's face lights up and he said, what, in here? No, 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 we'll go out on the pitch. So John Stones took Keith Hill, little lad, took him all the way down, out onto the pitch, got a couple of balls out and you know what the groundsmen are like after matches and that? Mo- What's all that about mowing pitches after matches? They just love it, don't they? Anyway, so they're all out there with the mowers. So John Stones goes steaming onto the pitch and has a kick around with a nine, ten-year-old kid after a big Premier League game, how often do you see a player doing something like that? Isn't that, isn't that what? I know he knew Keith Hill and probably knew that, but he could have just shook his hand, said hello, and, and buggered off, but he didn't. He well took played, him out. John He took Stones. him out onto the pitch, and I thought, he was a bit starstruck when he met me. Carly was a bit starstruck when she met him, and I said, no, I think he's got a girlfriend. You, you, you can't marry him, Carly. This, it would be lovely, but it's simply not going to work. Carly Stones doesn't work. So anyway, but I just thought it was a lovely, lovely thing for a, a, a very famous international footballer to do for a young child. And imagine that young lad, Orville, when he becomes an <laughs> England international himself, Orville Hill. <laughs> he will probably look back and say, it all started, not when he met me, because... I became irrelevant as soon as Stones walked in. But taking him out onto the pitch to have a kick around, I just thought it was... You just, really nice. you just don't see that anymore. Well done, John Stones. Well done, John Stones. Not for giving the ball away against Holland, but for that redeeming aspect of your character in life. That is quite the John Stones overcorrection. <laughs> it really <laughs> is, yeah. On way too far now. Uh, if you have any soccer stories, or indeed any out-of-context Reacher passages, once coming up next week, I promise, uh, send them to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. You can also get in touch via Twitter or Facebook. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. And don't forget, our live show, a 100th episode spectacular, is on November the 13th, doors at 7.30pm. Do not forget to secure your golden ticket via the Manchester Podcast Festival website. They are indeed tickets. They are not golden, but they may all be chocolate, I guess. Uh, in the meantime, thank you to Steve, Andy and Rory, and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece many for you to enjoy very soon indeed. I've thought of my music. Oh, oh as promised. The Baywatch theme tune. Yes, what a good idea. Is are that you, you going to dress as Pamela Anderson? No. <laughs> Do uh, we have individual walk-on music, or are we just mm, going to get... Yes. Oh, we're right, okay. we're really milking se- this. We're not, we're not coming on separately. That would be to. ludicrous. It's a separate music. It's going to be a voice of God saying, ladies and gentlemen, Rory Smith. And well, then is, the music. Is Chinch not, sort- is Chinch not sorting that? Chinch not sorting the voice of God. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yes. Am I? Yeah. Oh, yes. yes. You were going to... I'll, uh, I'll have a word in, more in that More exciting regard. content, yes. to be promised, yes. I would imagine. The problem is it's not that big a venue. I mean, basically, they'll have just been like the first two bars of drum beats from the Baywatch theme. No, I'm, <laughs> and I'm you'll re- be sat down, and I'll they'll have moved I on mean, to, to honest, whatever Hughes walk on music. With the Baywatch theme tune, literally all you need is the intro bit. You don't, the, lyrics are, the lyrics are profound and amazing, but... But you mainly want the intro bit. That's what people, so people what, need. Well, I, what I'm imagining, if you don't mind it being for all of us, Rory, what I'm imagining is that there's, an, there's an, uh, a voice I've got intro. Say, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Anthony Burgess Foundation. And then the music goes... Yeah. And then... We sort of need the lighting. Shouldn't we be keeping all this under our hats? Because this is kind of giving away the... What I want to know is, do you think anyone will travel from abroad to come to the live show. We would not recommend that. No, it w- no. If, I mean, if you want to, and I've noticed a couple of people who I know who, who, who follow us on Twitter who are based abroad, if you want to, we would love that. It's brilliant. We, we can't say how much we appreciate it. But, you know, just, just maybe think about <laughs> yes. how good an evening it's likely to be. <laughs> would, would you be willing to pay a significant amount of money to travel to Manchester for a £10 gig I mean, that, that's extra cost just on, yeah. on top of everything you're doing already for what will essentially be an hour, hour and 20 minutes worth of substandard hang, entertainment. Hang on, though. It's close enough to Christmas. 
go to Kendall's Trafford Centre. Mm. I mean, you could really sort of make would the trip you, worthwhile. You, stick around for, for example, a few days. Come Ken- across the Atlantic for just a trip to the Trafford Centre. By Kendall's, you mean the House of Fraser? Yeah, that's what it, Kendall's on Deansgate. That's what yeah, it is. But it's just House of Fraser. I know, but it's locally. It's you wouldn't travel. You wouldn't travel to go to House of Fraser. But you might travel to go to Kendall's, which is why Stephen dressed it up. Look, if, you, if you're thinking of coming to Manchester to go to House of Fraser for Christmas, then please consider department stores in your local cities. <laughs> We also need to strike up a deal with the local Premier Inn or Hampton by Hilton to house the droves of people who are going to come in from Bulgaria.